Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Why have there been so many UFO reports over the past year? What kind of technology could be behind UFOs? Is there a pattern or meaning that can be drawn from UFO sightings over the past century? Hey there, and welcome to the 527th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben, and those lofty questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. And this evening, we welcome back a previous guest and a good friend who has an uh, unusual approach to a common paranormal subject. And if you haven't guessed what that is, well, it's UFOs. <laughs> and uh, we welcome calls this evening, and the number is 401 Seven six six one two four zero and anywhere from the U.S. or Canada, eight hundred four four nine one two four zero. Robert L. Schroeder recently retired from Hewlett Packard after twenty six years in operations and product management. He has a B.A. in mathematics from Rutgers University, an associates in aerospace engineering, and an M.B.A. He is the author of Solving the UFO Enigma: How Modern Physics Is Revealing the Technology of UFOs. The book focuses on the evolution of modern physics and how recent theories are pointing toward a likely explanation of UFO physics. One of his main objectives is to generate interest among academics to help UFO researchers gather spectrographic data from actual UFO sightings. Bob is a U.S. Army veteran of the Vietnam War and has completed the Boston Marathon three times. Good line, I haven't even done it once. He and his wife, Carol, have appeared at Worcester Polytechnic Institute and have done <clears throat> radio interviews all over the country. Bob recently spoke at the International UFO Congress in Scottsdale, Arizona, which we shall talk about. Indeed. So among many things, uh, Bob Schroeder, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Um, ben and Paul, thank you so much for having me back. Well, it's great to have you, especially because it's such a delight to have somebody in studio. Oh, uh, that's a real treat for us. You know, yeah. you see a human being you're talking to. Yeah, so, oh, yeah I love I love coming down and being at the studio. It's much more fun than being on the phone. And also, my wife um, doesn't like it too much when I'm up late mm. and talking on the phone. <laughs> and we're going to take yeah, out exactly, the grumpies exactly. after in Bellingham. So. <laughs> and you get to see the uh, the men behind the curtain yeah. and behind the paranormal. So, speaking of which, so what's the story with all these UFO sightings over the last year? Is there really a wave that's going on? or? Uh, yes, I think there is. And I think it's very exciting because it offers another opportunity for UFO researchers to get spectrographic data from actual UFO sightings. And uh, these sightings have been mostly concentrated in California and in the southwest like Arizona, New Mexico. However... Uh, they've been seen all over the country. And as a matter of fact, New Fork, the National UFO uh, Conference, um, is a center, I'm sorry, center, in a, out in Washington State, um, were so flooded with UFO reports, they had a two-week backlog that they couldn't get through because they just had so many reports. That was back earlier in the new year. Wow. And, wow. and yeah. For, for, mm-hmm. those, for those non-scientists among us, so what do, you, what do you mean by spectrographic data, and how would that be carried out? Okay. Um, when I um, talk, that's a great question, Paul. Um, when I talk about uh, spectrographic data, uh, what, I, what we really, really need with UFO sightings is the full, range, the full spectrum of electromagnetic um, energy or waves. And what I mean by that is not only the visible spectrum uh, where we see at the, the retina in the back of our eye is sensitive to the visible spectrum, but the, unfortunately that's only a 
tiny fraction of the entire electromagnetic spectrum. But the part that we really need, as we'll talk about later in this evening, is we, we need the, the stuff that's outside of the visible, gamma rays, x-rays, infrared, ultraviolet, things like that, radio waves and so on. And if we can get that, um, as I talk about in my book, I believe we may be able to make the connection between what's going on in modern physics and UFO technology. Hmm. And Fascinating. And so there's quite a bit of uh, coverage in the uh, the uh, mass uh, mass media, <laughs> the uh, mainstream media. W- would you say? I mean, I haven't, I haven't seen anything, but of course I have. Well, I've really... seen a few things. Yeah. Is there more coverage than there used to be? Um, um, unfortunately, the uh, mainstream media, the the establishment media, has generally looks askance at UFO reports these days. That was not the case back in the 50s and 60s. Mm. Now, I, I was a kid back in the 50s, but I can remember reading the papers, and there was a, a tremendous amount of excitement about the Washington, D.C. UFO sightings. Oh, yes. Back, back 52, in, primarily, too. Th- was that, th- or, were there others? Uh, they, were, they occurred right up in, through the 50s, really? 57, 58, 59. And um, unfortunately, probably what happened, I'm not a believer in conspiracy theories or anything i think what happened was that that the um the cia was concerned and this this was actually uh recorded at one of their meetings they were concerned that ufo reports were clogging communications channels and as a result of that they decided to downplay UFO reports and try to get the military out of the UFO reporting business. And that, of course, was a serious concern. Um, and enemy, enemy agents could come to the United States and come up with all these fabricated UFO reports, clog our communications channels, and make things kind of dicey for our military. Mm. So I think what happened is the CIA decided to try to get out of the business, of the UFO reporting business. And that's really unfortunate because um, I believe, and this is my firm belief, I believe we're looking at the physics of the future. And if we had only followed this subject from, you know, from its inception um, way back when we first began noticing these things, um, we would have much more data today, and we much be, and we would be much closer to solving it. However, despite that, I think uh, what's going on right now. I hope I'm not taking too much time. No, no, oh, no, you're, yeah. the, you're the yeah. guest. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, um, but I believe that um, we may soon have the data we need to confirm if they are using concepts that are being developed in modern physics right today and we can talk about that later but that's what i think well it's funny you bring that up because uh, we well all right well, well let's get one thing out of the way before we continue with that because I'm, I'm fascinated by the subject of this technology because uh, i don't know i think we have some evidence that something's going on in our mm-hmm. own research but anyway we received about 200 emails from people who heard you were going to be on and knew you were an aeronautical engineer and a ufo expert and uh they want to know what's your opinion of the malaysian airline flight is that everybody's watching now the prime minister of malaysia came out today and said well it crashed in the indian ocean but from what i could see he didn't provide any particular evidence of this and i don't want to go speculating but i mean there is if anybody should speculate it's an educated person in this field such as yourself so uh i mean there 
I don't know the, the inexplicable behavior of the pirate. And I'm spe- now you're you're you have that expertise, and I'm former Coast Guard. I've been involved in searches and rescues and all this thing. <laughs> and there's unless the plane went down, ditched, and remained intact, there'd be all kinds of stuff floating around, even in that. And that that is the the the, the probably the least frequented part of the ocean. So the southern oceans in general, there's really there's really no land, unless you're thinking of Australia and places like that, where we have a lot of listeners, so we love Australia. But, I mean, generally, it's very it's open ocean. There's nothing there. The weather is terrible. Uh, there's just nothing going on. So, I mean, why would the guy uh, fly all the way to the middle of nowhere if he wanted to commit suicide or whatever he did? I mean, I don't get it. Um, uh, this is speculation on my part, Paul and Ben. Sure. Oh, naturally. Um, we, but, didn't, we didn't expect you yeah, had any inside yeah, information. Or the yeah. aliens told you they stole the plane. Right? Yeah, not yeah. yet. <laughs> they okay. haven't told me. <laughs> and, uh, however, um, they checked this particular... The pilot had a, a very elaborate flight simulator at his home, and, uh, and he used to practice different uh, flight scenarios around the world. Um, but when investigators went there to check his flight simulator, they discovered that everything on it had been erased. And that's a, a little bit puzzling and maybe suspicious. Um, so it could be that he was planning this from the start. And now why he would do such a thing, and again, this is strictly speculation, um, it could be that you know maybe he got a bad review, pilot review from his company, from Malaysian Airlines or something, and maybe he decided, you know, just to end it all. And, I mean, it would be tragic. Uh, the, uh, it would be an incredible tragedy, but it's happened before where people have done things like that. No. So it could be something like that. I don't believe that um, aliens had anything no, to do with it. No, there's no evidence. Um, no, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't believe that. However, I, I will make one caveat um, and that's this. Uh, there was a case in Australia um, where a guy, Valentine, Valentech. Oh, we looked into that case in one show, yeah. You did, okay. Yeah. So you're familiar with it. Well, yeah. A- excellent, because, Pilot, um, yeah. yeah, and he was harassed apparently by a UFO, and it eventually brought his plane down. But. Um, Whether it brought his plane down or whether he just panicked, I don't know. So I can't really say for sure it brought his plane down. It's possible. It's possible that um, you know UFOs could have been involved, but I doubt it. It Very, I doubt it very much. Well, there's no well. As Ben was pointing, Ben, you were pointing out before the uh, before we went on the air that satellites pretty much somebody's satellites pretty much watch every square foot of of the planet, you know, and. and in the Coast Guard, I served, uh, albeit for a month, in the Bermuda Triangle area. And uh, yeah, just whenever you have deep ocean, things can disappear. You know, and it isn't necessarily, uh, because you don't know. I mean, because, uh, as we've, we've speculated about the multiverse, and, you know, there's a lot, there are a lot of witnesses to people disappearing and things disappearing and things appearing that weren't there before. And, you know, we figure multiversal boundaries are crossing each other. Uh, but, you know, barring that... It seems like just a tragic accident to me, or uh, something that was deliberately brought about, as you might speculate, yep. uh, by yeah. the pilot. So that, that's that's probably the best way we can answer that question. So, it, unless anybody, if anybody wants has anything else, you're welcome to call us again. The number four zero one seven six six one two four zero, and the uh, could I say 
Uh, yeah, let me just give the, the okay. number, the, uh, inter- the international number, or U.S. and Canada anyway, 800-449-1240 if you want to call it. Go okay, I, I do want to emphasize that I do not believe uh, that these alien civilizations are uh, hostile. Um, I, don't, I really don't think so. However, I do think that they're kind of like humans in that not all, they're individualistic. Um, so in other words, you could have... Um, I think it's relatively easy for them to go through what they call the extra dimensions and they can get to our planet. And I think they're probably all part of a federation. However, I also think it's very possible that you could have... Okay, you ready for this? I don't know. Go ahead. (laughs) Okay. You could have galactic teenagers. (laughs) Yeah. And and think of them in hot rods, a UFO. (laughs) And they're going out and having a little fun with the humans. <laughs> yeah, I, I, actually, and, that has crossed my mind. But yeah, and, I, I'm and just I wary think, of being yeah. anthropomorphic in this, you know, of, um, of, of, of attributing well, human characteristics. characteristics and motivations to non-theoretical alien races, to uh, non-humans. Yep, I know what you're saying. Yeah. I, I do suspect, though, that all sapient creatures were in the universe as they evolve very similar to us. And they and they gradually become more technological, and they and they develop uh, the ability to get to other stars, and but that doesn't mean that they're, um, you know, and I think they evolve socially too, but I still think that the you know, uh, any advanced intelligence, including ourselves, any intelligence, any intelligent creatures, um, the, a brain is a very complex organ, incredibly complex. I mean, billions upon billions of ner- nerve cells, and and I think you're always going to have, you know, people that are going to in, in any particular group, even if it's aliens, you're going to have individuals that might be outside the norm. <laughs> and a, yeah. And yeah. A, oh, sure. And, well, that's and that's a, obvious. And and in particular, say teenage, the equivalent of alien teenagers, mm. they might uh, have some fun and dive bomb a plane or something just for the kicks. And they, and if they accidentally knock it out of the sky, which may have been what happened with Valentech, then they probably scoot back to their universe or their their planet and don't tell mom and dad. You know? <laughs> well, that, that's very yeah. possible. But well, uh, not they'd make them go back and apologize. Or <laughs> well, paper, again, that's very damages. Damages. I, I, I don't know. But you said something. You, well, you said a lot of interesting things in the last ten minutes. But I picked out a few sentences and fragments that I'd wish to pick your brain about. Okay. So there's the notion of technological progress. It's a big thing in the West where the more technology you have, the more advanced you are. Now, if any, if there's any example of this, because I'm not a fan of that idea. Okay. The, the biggest example to me that shows that that's not true is school systems. School systems throw tons and tons of money at technology. Smart boards, things like that. Grades are worse than ever. Now, I feel as if throwing technology into the mix of progress is, one, very narcissistic as a species, Mm -hmm. and two, very, um, well, not exactly, in my opinion, accurate, because progress has to come in multiple forms. One being either spiritual, spiritual or whatever, and also um, not as much technology or material based. Well, actually, material based, but not in technology. So it's sort of a sort of a, a dual a dual edged sword, if you will. So if if there are indeed galactic societies out there that do have advanced technology, 
What's to say that we can compare them to our own progress? I think we can. I, uh, part of the reason I think we can, Ben, is because I think we're going to be traveling in the bulk pretty soon. And I believe all technological advance or civilizations are, like even including ourselves, who have reached the uh, at the point where we can travel in the extra dimensions, which I believe, maybe we can talk about that in a bit, I believe we'll have the ability to do within perhaps a decade or so, or two, you know. And uh, But I um, I believe the federa- I believe there's a federation of advanced civilizations, and I believe that that federation has uh, civilizations at uh, many different stages of development. Some are more like us, that uh, we're still kind of work, working out social problems on planet Earth, political problems and stuff like that. But um, I remain uh, optimistic that things are going to get better. And the main reason I believe that is uh, uh, one aspect of technology, which is um, information. Um, information can now travel to any part of the planet, which may, which and the pro- the problem for dictatorships uh, in in the old days, back during, uh, you know, the various dictatorships that occurred, like Napoleon, say way back during the French Revolution, after the revolution, and other dictatorships or oppressive type governments, is they had um, m- many people don't know this, but when Napoleon took power in France, one of the first things he did was he basically took control of the media which in those days was the newspapers and and so he basically and the schools and he tried to you know get a corner on information but that's no longer possible today and you look at countries like Iran that are run by a theocracy and they're now facing the problem a serious problem of the internet and um cell phones, satellite cell phones, mm. and so they can't stop the flow of information coming in. You know, instead of trying to stop their nuclear weapons with bombs, you know, um, explosive bombs, instead we should bomb them with cell phones. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. And, yeah. And, and because once the people get the information, and in fact, that ability to get information from the sky, literally, um, uh, is what created the green revolution in Iran which came very very close to overthrowing the theocracy that they have over there so to make a long story short i think things are going to get better because the information technology is going to is is going to prevent a dictatorship from really uh, gripping too tightly on any body politic and uh, so uh, but going back to your point about the schools um Schools and generally um, are not uh, well. Generally, certain types of schools, like inner city schools in the big cities, tend not to be too good. But if you go out into the suburbs, they tend to be quite good. And 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 interestingly enough, in the inner cities, they often spend more per student than they do in the suburbs. And yet, like Ben had pointed out, that still doesn't you know. Um, bring up their grades or help them, and I think it's um, it's a bit more complicated. I think what's going on is it's a question of uh, the the local culture, or you might call it the subculture. And I th- and I, but nevertheless, I do think 
that um, even in the inner city, things can get better. I think they need it. And one of the things that will help there, and I don't want to take too much time on this, but is charter schools. And because charter schools get the kids away from the union-dominated uh, schools, uh, with the teachers' unions. Oops, I hope I don't get people upset. But, uh, well, but you might, especially because <laughs> the, they're bored to sit in extraterrestrial schools. <laughs> but you know what I think? I think that um, once you have competition in in uh, teaching, in other words, you have different uh, groups of teachers, some union, some non-union, that's when the improvement will take place. Because even the union will have to recognize that they've got to change their ways and, um, and get the kids taught. So I, I, I think things, I, I'm optimistic, I think things are going to get better, because I think, and the key is competition. Well, the real question is, do aliens have unions? So <laughs> I actually do have a question that might actually get us into the next subject. Okay. So you mentioned earlier that um, we uh, that UFOs might be using modern physics. Suppose it's not modern physics. Um, I oh well, that's po- very possible, Ben. Very possible. Um, however, I would say my. Um, the reason I believe that they are using concepts that are being developed in modern physics is because um, the, prob- the problem that you face when you want to go f- to another star system, if we only live in a four-dimensional universe, the only possible way to get there is to go through four-dimensional space. And you're limited by the speed of light if you just try to go use brute force to get from one star to another. And you can't even get close to the speed of light because uh, just trying to do that uh, it requires so much energy because special relativity tells you that the faster you go, the closer you get to the speed of light. Um, the energy requirements are absolutely humongous. Uh, the other possibility are things like the Alcubierre warp drive, uh, wherein a civilization might be able to compress space in front of the spaceship and expand it behind it. But even that is not viable, uh, as because even Miguel Alcubierre, the Mexican physicist who came up with that idea, has kind of dismissed it more recently. And the reason is because, again, the energy requirements are gigantic. Um, in order to get across our galaxy alone, out of billions of galaxies, um, would require converting half the the mass of the uh, half the stars in our galaxy into energy just to get across our galaxy now of course if any of those stars had civilizations around them they may not take too kindly to us vaporizing them for their energy <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> well I, I have a quote I, I, is that do you have anything else ben? no no, no okay. that was yeah. it. i have a quote from your book uh, solving the ufo enigma you point out that ufos demonstrate quote Extraordinary performance characteristics, unusual shapes, frequently reported intense radiation, often inexplicable behavior, and other puzzling attributes. And then a little bit from a technical point of view, I believe that by systematically categorizing UFO characteristics, we can get some insight into the engineering used in these machines. Mm -hmm. How do we know these really are machines, or at least all of them? Uh, that's another great question because they seem to be very elusive and it's very difficult to, you know, g- get uh, data or 
evidence of their even of their existence and uh, however i believe they're machines because a guy in mufon mutual ufo network uh, the, probably the biggest ufo um organization in the country if not the world and uh, but uh, ted phillips um was oh, ted's a, been on the show many times yeah oh, i was going to ask you a question oh. based on our conversation but i'm sorry sorry no. to go up girl. oh that's go good to hear i'm interested oh, yeah. to hear that oh we know mm-hmm. ted yeah um well, Ted Phillips, many years ago, for MUFON, he did a study of how much UFOs weigh. Now, um, you know, a lot of people used to think in the old days that maybe they were made out of, like, um, styrofoam or something, you know, because how could they, you know, levitate so easily, <laughs> yeah. you know. And, uh, however, Ted Phillips went to landing sites, or he got data from landing sites around the world. And a typical one was in France, where a UFO, maybe 25, 30 feet in diameter, landed on some railroad tracks, and the four legs of the UFO uh, went down, and they um, went right to the ties, the railroad ties, and they and they touched down on those railroad ties. They found indentations in the railroad ties. They calculated the weight of this thing. Mind you, it's only 25, 30 feet in diameter, not very big. And it weighed like 30 tons. Hmm. And, that, and, and I know why that's the case. And, I'll, and we, we, can, we can talk. Uh, let's see how much time we have here. Oh, but, we need to take a break at the bottom of the yard. But, but go yeah, ahead. Okay. So um, anyway, um, that tells me. And, and, that, and he found that on average... Uh, the typical disc-shaped ones that were between 30 and 50 feet in diameter were 30, 40, or 50 tons, something in that range. Wow. And that tells me that these are machines because um, it would have to be some something metal, uh, uh, an, off, an awful lot of metal, actually, to put those kind of indentations in the ground or something like that. And I was just reading Robert Hastings' book, UFOs and nukes Bobby, today. He's, he's been on the show too. Mm. Oh no, kidding! Yeah. Oh, he's a great. Hey, we guy. have all the best you people, know. including yeah. yourself. Oh, thank you. Thank we, have you. Doctor, <laughs> we have Professor Amit Goswami two weeks ago. No kidding! Yeah. Oh wow, you, you. This is great. And, uh, mm-hmm. You're you're uh, in August company. And, uh, yeah, wow. Yeah. <laughs> this is uh, well. Um, Robert Hastings was looking at UFO sightings over in uh, the Soviet Union, and again he found that typical pattern where where UFOs landed in hard gravel in in some of the near the nuclear bases in the Soviet Union, um, they still left these hemispherical um, indentations in the ground. And what's interesting about that is that that, uh, you know, hemispherical or, uh, uh, you know, uh, indentation has been found in the United States and Canada and Australia as well. So it has to be kind of a, a standard type of landing gear. And of course, it, it makes sense because it adjusts to the terrain if it's hemispherical. Extremely and, interesting. Yeah. Well, we're going to take our break. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back with our great guest. Rob Schroeder. Bob, I always want to call you Rob. Robert Schroeder, in just a moment. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Roth Nahr, host of Community Connections radio show that airs the fourth Wednesday of the month at 9 a.m. here on ON 1240. The show is a production of Family Resources Community Action, a social service agency in Woonsocket that helps strengthen families, individuals, and the community. Each month, we invite guests from the community to share news about programs, services, events, and issues of concerns to our residents. 
Past topics have included youth services, employment and training, and housing and homelessness. For more information about FRCA, call 401-766-0900. Please tune in to Community Connections the fourth Wednesday of the month at 9 a.m. Hope you can join us. We're always here for you. Radio. And welcome back. And before we get back to our guest, I wanted to point out a number of the charities that Ben and I have adopted. One of them is Canadian Veterans Advocacy for our Canadian veterans, uh, our friends up north who've been with us in the war on terror. Certainly, uh, usacares.org does wonderful things for veterans and their families in this country. Uh, financial help primarily, and uh, they do need contributions if uh, the Family is short uh, for their mortgage for a particular month. Out goes the check. It's, it's, uh, they do great things. And certainly locally, buildershelpingheroes.org. That's uh, Rhode Island Builders Association subsidiary, nonprofit subsidiary that does renovations and builds houses for our veterans. They just turned one over in December, and I was, had the privilege of being there, uh, to a Marine who'd lost both his legs in Afghanistan uh, and to his family, a beautiful house in Burrowville. So uh, check that out, too, buildershelpingheroes.org. Great groups. And also, uh, we're going to have, especially next week, a youth mentoring connection from Los Angeles. Uh, Tony Loray there is going to be our guest, applies indigenous wisdom, shamanic wisdom, to helping inner-city youth. That's kind of different, mm. and so he's going to tell us about that next week. But check that out as well, youthmentoring.org. Check it out. Okay, back to Behind the Paranormal here, and we're behind the uh, paranormal and the UFO subject with our good friend Robert Schroeder. Oh, before we move on, yes. don't forget about the Bruins game coming up at 7. Oh, yes, of course. We have the uh, Boston Bruins and the uh, Montreal Canadiens tonight, ah. right after our show here on one twelve forty, and check it out. We'll see how they do. Bruins are having a pretty good season, I think. They're doing really well. Yeah, well, let's hope it continues tonight. Canadians yeah. are kind of, uh, yeah. you know, formidable teams. Knock so, on wood here. So check it out. Uh, stay with us uh, after our show for that game. All right, so, All right. Please. Okay. okay. Well, Rob, we're going to talk, talk about the UFO technology. It's very interesting, the weight of UFOs. But before we get into the technology, uh, the, if the multiverse thing, and you tend to agree with us on that to a certain degree, uh, the physics of the universes from which these come, going across the boundaries and visiting different ones, uh, could be very different from our own. That's something that physicists have, have uh, speculated about quite uh, learnedly in the past 20 years, the, um, something that weighs a lot here, or even just in our, in our own series of physical laws, something on one planet, if the planet is bigger than the planet the thing comes from, it's going to be heavier here, all right? Or, so, or am, I, am I right, or is um, it small? I'm not exactly, nope, nope. Okay, so um, go, go ahead, where am I wrong? Oh, okay, um, uh, what happens is... Um, uh, on different planets, uh, the, the force of gravity. Well, uh, gravity is an acceleration field. Um, if you think of Newton's laws, F is equal to ma, force is equal to mass times acceleration. So uh, the acceleration represents the gravity field. And on our planet, it's 32 feet per second per second. So if you had, uh, and it's just a b- basic math, um, if you had a 10-pound vehicle, uh, a 10-pound weight, and you multiply it at times 32 feet per second per second, um, you'd you'd get uh, a, a particular answer. Now, um, that's 10 pounds on our planet. And I should mention the m is the mass, so that's actually not the weight. That's the mass. <laughs> okay. the, the distinction is uh, the the weight is what the number you get with the force. So in other words, F is equal to MA. 
uh, F is equal to the uh, the force that the object, you know, as it hits the surface of the Earth, you know. But on another planet, um, acceleration field might not be 32 feet per second per second. It could be 40 feet per second per second. And so it might be a stronger gravity field. And in that place... Um, the mass would be the same. It would still be 10 pounds as we would measure it here. Okay. But um, but the force that it hits the ground with would be much greater uh, because of the um, stronger gravity field. But actually, um, so that's actually not a, not a, not really an issue. Um, but uh, could I jump into the technology? Yeah, just how, yeah. how would something that heavy... Fly. Able to fly, yeah. Okay, Th- this is where it's really exciting, and um, and I, and I'll just kind of. I know I went through this on the last show. No, but this is so, your domain. But oh, go ahead. Yeah. Okay, so but I uh, but I'll kind of go through it real quick here. I'll just do a quick summary. But in a nutshell, what happened? Um, they uh, there's really two big questions on the UFO phenomenon: How did they get here, and how are they able to? And number two, how are these craft able to perform? inertia-defying acrobatics in Earth's atmosphere. And um, so uh, I'll just go quickly. How did they get here? The first question, it looks like, I believe, what they're doing is they're getting into the five-dimensional bulk. And and what this means is that um, uh, heretofore, at least until the 90s or 80s or 90s, 1980s or 1990s, it was thought that we lived in a four-dimensional universe. However... Um, they were having trouble unifying the four fundamental forces of nature, but one of the theories that came out of um, a new new theory that came out in the late 70s, 80s, was something called string theory. And string theory was the first theory uh, proposed uh, by the physics community that required extra dimensions. And so it actually, it's it's morphed into something called M-theory. Some people kind of consider it mother of all theories. And M-theory requires 11 dimensions. So we have our basic four, um, three of space and one of time that we thought we lived in. Now we have an additional seven on top of that. But the important thing, and I'm just going to, I'm not going to go into detail on that. The important thing is they think that... Um, there's at least one extra large dimension, a fifth dimension, and they believe we live on something called a space-time membrane, and that space-time membrane is four-dimensional, and they believe that um, there's a larger five-dimensional universe, but it's bounded by two of these four-dimensional large-dimension space-time membranes. And I... and. There's another theory that was derived from M-theory called warp geometry. And warp geometry proposes uh, that um, that area, that, <clears throat> excuse me, that space between the membranes, which they refer to as the bulk, B-U-L-K, that five-dimensional space, um, they believe it is severely warped gravitationally. And, and the reason they uh, believe it, it's, it, it is severely warped gravitationally because that explains a big problem in physics called the hierarchy problem, which is the weakness of gravity versus the other forces in nature. And again, I won't go into too much detail here, but in a nutshell, it solves the problem. It looks like the vast majority of gravitons 
the, that carry the gravity force are located in this five-dimensional boat. And when I saw this theory, I was really excited because I understood instantly that um, I, general relativity, Einstein's theory of general relativity, says where gravity is strong, distance shrinks. And I did a quick calculation and I realized that Alpha Centauri, you'd only uh, because it is believed according to the warp geometry theory, that you only have to go in to the five-dimensional bulk about one ten thousandth of its maximum gravitational strength. It goes up to ten to the sixteen time power stronger than the gravity on planet Earth. Um, it, so you only have to go into the bulk, into this five-dimensional bulk, the equivalent of one to the point where the gravitational strength in the and the bulk is only one ten thousandth of its maximum strength, and going in just that relatively short distance, the distance to Alpha Centauri. Yeah, which is one of the nearby stars. The closest star speaking. to planet Earth. Yep, that's okay. right, Paul. Um, shrinks from twenty-five trillion miles to just 25 miles. <laughs> really? That is <laughs> and, fantastic. That's and, amazing. And, and that's what I think the UFOs are doing. I mean, uh, I could get in there. I used to have a 66 Mustang, and uh, I, I could get in there with my Mustang and drive to Alpha Centauri <laughs> in half an hour, depending on the speed limit and the bulk. I honestly had never <laughs> heard that. I, yeah, I've and heard then, the, the concepts, but I hadn't heard it described in that way. That is fabulous. And. And uh, could I? You could even make it there in your car, Ben. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> and it's a clunker. <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is indeed. Yeah. So, if I could continue a little bit. Sure. Um, so, I think as far as the UFOs go, um, when they're actually in our on our planet, when they come out of the bulk, um, the question is, how do they perform these inertia-defying acrobatics in Earth's atmosphere? I think I know how they do it, and what they're doing. Um, I think they're sur- uh, surround. Uh, well, before I s- uh, get into it, I want to explain something uh, very quickly here. At the Large Hadron Collider Particle Accelerator over in Geneva, Switzerland, we're going to be uh, colliding subatomic particles together at near the speed of light. And um, and when these things collide, uh, they expect over the next couple of years, um, they expect to see. Uh, something called KK gravitons and or Kaluza-Klein particles, and these are a type of particle that are a manifestation of the extra dimensions. In other words, if these extra dimensions exist, we will see these KK particles. And uh, and among the KK particles, as I, I mentioned, actually, will be something called KK gravitons, and these things will have inter- interaction strengths up to, as I mentioned before. 10 to the 16 power stronger than gravity on Earth. That's 1 followed by 16 zeros. Well, it turns out, and this is where it gets exciting, it turns out that these KK gravitons in turn will induce the creation of micro black holes. And in fact, there was a a bit of a controversy about that uh, back a couple years ago. Uh, many people were concerned that the micro black holes created at the Large Hadron Collider in Geneva, Switzerland, would continue to grow and swallow Switzerland. I remember uh, that we talked about <laughs> it on the show. Yeah, and and of course that would be a, a catastrophe of epic proportions because we would no longer have Swiss chocolate or banks and, or banks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so anyway. Uh, 
But it turned out that's not the case because they know that these things will decay uh, very quickly so that it's not really a problem. But but anyway, uh, it, I when I saw that, that they were going to create micro black holes, one of my first thoughts was, can a micro black hole swallow gravitons? Because it, I knew that a light uh, photons that carry the um, uh, electromagnetic energy of light waves, I knew that they... Um, would be swallowed by micro black holes. So that's why they call them black holes, because the light can't escape. Now, since gravitons that carry the gravity force also travel at the speed of light, I thought, gee, maybe they would be swallowed by micro black holes too. So I quickly went into archive.org. I did a couple of searches looking for exactly that type of scenario. It turned out to be exactly right. A whole bunch of physicists were looking for precisely that, that gravitons would be swallowed at the Large Hadron Collider um, by the micro black holes. And then I realized what UFOs are doing. Here's what they're doing. Um, they're basically creating these KK gravitons in, in an envelope around the craft. That would explain why many people report these big box-like windows on the outer rim of the UFO that clearly are not crew ca- quarters because there's obviously a great great deal of energy in there. Um, and instead, what they're doing is they're shooting these subatomic particles together outside, just on the outside of the craft, and they create like an envelope around the craft of, my, of, of KK gravitons, which in turn create micro black holes, which in turn swallow gravitons. Now, the way uh, when an airplane is flying in the sky, um, it, the Earth knows how much that uh, airplane weighs. Um, well, first of all, the, the, how fast the plane will fall in, in the Earth's gravity field on, only hinges on the acceleration field of, the, of Earth's gravity. In other words, 32 feet per second per second. On the moon, it would fall slower. On the Earth, it falls a bit faster. And uh, the acceleration, which is uh, gravity, is an acceleration field. And uh, so um, what these craft are... But now, if you think about something like this. Let's say you have a balloon that's painted black that's exactly, oh, 10 inches in diameter, okay? And it's got a, uh, maybe a little hydrogen gas in it, so it kind of floats. And then you have a cannonball that's also 10 inches in diameter. Um, and you put them up at the same height on the pizza a tower of pizza, you know, and, uh, 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 and, and, and you let them go. Um, how does the Earth know that the cannonball is much heavier than the a b- balloon that's painted black. You know, here's how the Earth knows. Uh, because it measures the mass of the uh, at the speed of light, because gravitons go at the speed of light. It measures the mass of the uh, of of the cannonball by a constant exchange of gravitons. There's more gravitons being emitted and exchanged between the cannonball than the balloon and the Earth. You know, so so between the cannonball and the Earth and the balloon and the Earth. Um, it, the balloon has very few gravitons exchanged, but the cannonball has a ton of them, you know. And that's how the Earth knows that, going back to Newton's law, F is equal to ma, it figures out the mass of the cannonball. And so if you're standing below, um, you'd much prefer to be hit by the balloon than the cannonball. I agree um, with that. And, yeah. and the force of the cannonball is F is equal to ma. And and so both of them have exactly the same acceleration, 32 feet per second per second, the balloon and the cannonball. But 
uh, the force is different because the mass is different. The balloon's mass is an ounce. The cannonball is 100 pounds or whatever. And, and so you don't want to get hit by the cannonball. And so what the UFOs are doing is they're swallowing these gravitons. And therefore, they're de- this is the key word, they are demassing the craft. They're, they're, they're effectively telling the Earth that this craft only weighs is the weight of a balloon. That's it, or a frisbee, and uh, and and that's what they're doing, and that explains why they uh, very often witnesses report that they flutter as they. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Yeah. That's why, and they really, they really are fluttering, and the reason they're fluttering is because they're very, as far as the Earth's concerned, they're very light weight and that also explains one other key feature of ufos many people report that they notice either part of the outer rim or the entire ufo seems to be spinning well i'll tell you exactly why it's spinning um when when you uh, when you take a frisbee and you throw it across the yard what do you do to stabilize the very lightweight frisbee well it spins exactly exactly Paul, you have to spin it to stabilize it, and that's exactly why UFOs spin, or at least a portion of the outer rim spins, because they're demassing these craft, and that's how how they operate. And they can they can expel oh say neutrinos, um, and they wouldn't have to expel that many to accelerate extremely fast. Uh, so th- that's why they can accelerate at such blinding speed. Because uh, think of it this way: if if you've ever been to a demonstration where they shoot a cannonball, uh, you know, out of a cannon, and they shoot a, a rifle bullet, you can see the cannonball. I don't know if anybody's ever seen that, but because uh, the inertia. Well, I've seen the gun shoots at sea with five-inch guns yeah. on a ship. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yep. Yeah. I when I was I was in Vietnam, I saw the 16-inch shells. Going hurtling overhead, they were maybe. I were in New Jersey. In New Jersey, yeah. USS New Jersey, yeah. and I'm from. I'm proudly from New Jersey. And then, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so um, we were out on patrol west of Cameron Bay, and we could see these shells literally going overhead. However, you cannot see a bullet, and the reason is because the bullet doesn't have much inertia. Inertia is is a function of mass. So a a, a, a an object that doesn't have much mass, you can accelerate real quick. But a cannonball, you can't. Or a 16-inch shell from the USS New Jersey or the Iowa. Mm. In a, and, a, and that's how UFOs are able to accelerate real quick. They've demassed their craft. So as far as the Earth's concerned, um, or even if they're in outer space, they can still go fast. Because even if you're way, way out in outer space, you're still subject to inertia. So a cannonball still would... Um, Take a great deal of power and to accelerate it and outer even way away from a gravitational field because inertia is universal and um, and so inertia is the resistance to acceleration by the way I forgot to mention that and so uh, the, anyway that's what the UFOs are doing okay so, everyone there will be a written yeah. test on this that so will go out over the email uh, yeah. before we um, burn up the hour here Bob uh, tell us about your book where people can get it. Oh, okay, Paul. Um, my book is available on Amazon.com, and the title of the book is Solving the UFO Enigma, How Modern, and the subtitle is How Modern Physics is Revealing the Technology of UFOs. 
and it, and uh, it's available right on Amazon. Uh, you can go in there to buy it if you'd like. Um, and uh, those of you who are listening on online can see the picture. Oh um, yes. What, what, speaking of the picture, is this this one of the triangular formations seen over Arizona? Is that like the um, is they, that what this is? They might or is have that been Belgium. Uh, that, that was Belgium. Oh, Belgium. They okay. they might have been different in Arizona. Uh, people reported more of a flying wing down there. Yes. And uh, but if uh, for the people in the audience that can see the cover, um, those bright circles in the corner, I believe are are well. Oh, I forgot to mention one more thing. I think, of course, if these craft are creating KK gravitons and micro black holes, then they're they're actually UFOs are powered by particle accelerators, or that's how they demass the craft. Those large circles in the corner are the location of the particle accelerators. And I just recently found out from a book by David Marler, uh, he wrote about triangle UFOs. And Paul and Ben, if you haven't had them on your show, you've got to have them on. No, we haven't. D- yeah. D- David Marler. And uh, he was down at the International UFO Congress. And uh, anyway... He had a report. He did a terrific job, um, you know, you know, gathering all these reports from around the world. He had a triangle UFO that was seen in Belgium um, back, I think, in the 70s or 80s or something. And the witnesses reported that the uh, bright circles in the corner appeared to be rotating. And that's exactly what I'd expect. Remember, I just said mm-hmm. before, the Frisbee ro- uh, rotating. So that's where the stabilization comes in. It tells you that even these giant triangular craft are probably only a pound or two as far as the Earth is concerned. If they landed on the on the ground and they shut off their engines, they would weigh probably 200 tons, you know. But... Um, and when they're up in the air, when they're flying around, when the engines are operating, when the particle accelerators are operating, uh, they only weigh a pound or two. And and so they're able to easily keep um, uh, air- airborne just by expelling some subatomic particles or, so, or something. In a okay. Uh, now, t- tell us, uh, I, got a million, yeah. I have a million other questions. Okay. How was the the uh, conference in Scottsdale, Arizona, the International UFO? You spoke there, right? I yep, I sure did, Paul and Ben. It was fantastic, and I got to tell you, and the audience here will really appreciate this. They really, really will. It was 87 degrees down there. Uh, oh, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, don't even joke about this stuff. <laughs> and, oh, and I this tell is you, when? Uh, this was in uh, middle of February. Uh, the we, middle we of there. February? We yeah. were, what, 9 <laughs> degrees or something? Yeah. Like yeah. Zero. And yeah. when we landed at, at uh, Sky Harbor Airport, uh, my wife and I. My favorite airport. Uh, oh, oh, my goodness. It, the pilot said it was 87 degrees. And here I was. I was coming in from Boston. I had all these heavy sweaters and yeah. t- t- layers and layers yeah. of 16 layers of clothes. And I got there. And I was so happy to be there. Uh, we were only there for 10 days. But, man, we missed three big snowstorms in those three days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. No place like yeah. home. And, uh, yep. But the conference was fantastic. I don't, have you guys ever been to it? We no. haven't. We, we know most of the people have spoken there, but we've never been ourselves. So oh, they should they've go. Lived, we, yeah. we've, uh, we've lived vicariously through them. Okay. Yes, um, yeah. yeah. I, I I strongly recommend going to it, mm-hmm. if for no other reason than the weather. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. But we had about 2,000 people there. And I spoke on Friday, and after I gave my presentation, I got so swarmed by people asking questions. They they just didn't have enough time to finish all their questions. 
and I couldn't even get back to the vendor table where I had my books. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dr. Lynn Katai, who uh, you know Lynn, yeah. you've had Lynn on your show oh, sure. too. Oh, yeah. oh she's Never fantastic. Time. Oh yeah. Oh, what a super lady. Yeah. Um, she saw what was happening to me. She realized there was no way I was going to get back to my vendor table. So Dr. Katai ran over to my vendor table and took care of my books, selling the books for me. Oh, over there. well, she's a she, sweetheart. Yeah. She took care Expert of Expert on the Phoenix Lights that, as well, which I yeah, saw indeed. from an airplane. Hey, yeah, oh, really? Yeah. Well, we'll oh. talk about it when we get to <laughs> yeah. talk about it over dinner. Okay. Um, but uh, there are a number of other questions. A number of other questions uh, that we have, and of course, one mm-hmm. it goes back to Ted Phillips, whom we mentioned earlier in the show. Good friend has been on the show a number of times. The last time he was on, or the last two times he was on, we were talking about what appears to be the changing technology of UFOs, at least some of them, because we are. And if you are, are you going to be at the Lemister Conference this year? Yes. Oh, yes so will we. So, yep. and, and uh, our subject is going to be—I don't know how much time they're going to give us—but our subject is going to be UFOs and their relate, possible relationships to other areas of the paranormal. Okay. And it's our contention yeah. that UFOs mm-hmm. depend on the context. In other words, who's That's seeing true. them, where, and when. If you see them, see a small ball of light in your living room, it's a ghost to most people, or, or something else. Uh-huh. And if you see it outside with a little guy standing at it, it's a UFO. And that, that may be a, a, a correct yeah. and valid distinction, but maybe not. So what Ted was saying was that the technology of these things seems to be changing. There, there are far more reports of orb-like, you know, balls of light, uh-huh. light balls, as he calls them, UFOs, particularly the Marley Woods situation that he's dealing yeah. with in Missouri. Yeah. Uh, than there are of the nuts and bolts craft that weigh 300 tons and land on the railroad tracks. Not that there are any of those, but there seems to be a predominant. Maybe it's as, as the proliferation of certain kinds of technology for information gathering and exchange, uh, or maybe it is a real change in the nature of UFO appearances here. What say you about that? I mean, are you noticing any change in that? Uh, you know what I think? I think this is a technology that um, was probably developed literally by the most advanced federation of civilizations, probably millions, perhaps a billion or more years ago, because the universe is 16 billion years old. So I don't think it's really changing over the short period of, of our, um, um, uh, you know, our d- decades or two. You know, mm-hmm. um, instead, I think what we're really seeing. Um, generally speaking, virtually all the UFOs have one part of the UFO that's circular in aspect, and I believe that's the part that's the particle, particle accelerator. And so, so I think what we're really seeing are different Federation civilizations coming and visiting us. And one may have a triangle, another may have a boomerang, but with circles on it. Mm-hmm. The triangle has the circles in the corner. Other civilizations may just have the basic disk shape. Others may have the cylinder. Um, you know, and so on. And I, but I think they're, uh, so anyway, and make a long story short, I don't think the technology has changed. But going back to one other thing you mentioned, real quick, um, uh, there could be, uh, there's some, oh, darn it, what's that? I can't think of her name. Oh, the Long Island Medium. Have you guys heard of her? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, hasn't uh, been on the show. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But um, I know she's a little flamboyant and stuff, but um, I believe what she's doing may be real i think it's something really going on um and um and it might have something to do with these extra dimensions i don't think i don't know if the ufos and the ufos themselves may be aware of those links um but i do think that in some way we don't understand consciousness maybe can survive 
um, the passing of our physical body or something like that. Well, that's I know another, that's, that's another story. Was, that, was yeah, yeah with, with less than two minutes in the show, yeah. we can't get into esoteric arguments about entomology. Entomology, no, <laughs> yeah. ontology. Maybe. Ontology. Okay. Sorry, entomology I am, is the study of insects. And I'm I am, sick of them. I'm glad for the good I'm, weather, for right. the lousy weather, because I don't like insects. Anyway, Mondays. So let's. Um, so on Saturday, April 26th, my dad and I will be speaking about poltergeists and my dad's experience with them at the uh, New England Parafest. That's at the Crown Plaza in Nashua, New Hampshire. I don't have time to go into this, but there's going to be a lot of other people there. Tom D'Agostino, uh, yeah. Lauren Coleman, lots of other people will be having a raffle on April 7th on that show for a $90 value of two tickets to go to this show. And you can enter by just sending us your name and phone number in an email, paul at behindtheparanormal.com, or you can send it via snail mail to uh, paranormal. Uh, care of, or sorry, behind the paranormal care of W O O N 1240 985 Park Avenue in Soccer, Rhode Island 02895. And you can find my books on Barnes & Noble Look, e-reader, Amazon Kindle, etc., etc. And I guess we're just about done. Uh, next week, March 31st, Tony Loray, as we said, talk about uses of ancient wisdom to help inner-city youth. You can go with the quote. Okay. We leave you this evening with a thought from American philosopher Vernon Howard. You have succeeded in life when all you really want is only what you really need. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.